Welcome back to The Q-Files. In this episode, we'll look beyond the normal. Just another way of saying paranormal, if you will. But this time, from a very different vantage point. We know this might seem an odd choice to start off Pride Month, but just stick with us. What is normal, anyway? Merriam-Webster defines it as the usual, the average, or typical state or condition. And unfortunately, since the beginning of time, our so-called civilized world has most often labeled those who are different as abnormal, especially those whose physical bodies did not look like our own, and often created an earthly hell for many of them who were shunned from and shut out of life's simplest pleasures, family, society and the pursuit of authenticity, economic stability, and happiness. To many repulsed strangers, they were simply monsters, but in truth, many of them were simply extraordinary. I have been obsessed with a sideshow since I was a kid. And back in my day, there were still what they called freak shows at the local county or state fair. They were, of course, completely run-down, stinky, and rather sad and cruel affairs. But I'd run off from my parents, and beckoned by the raucous, loud sideshow barker, I'd pay with a few coins in my sweaty little hand and slip into the dark, dank tent onto the slippery straw and hay-covered floor and into what I saw as a magical world. I'm not sure I was ever obsessed with sideshows. I remember an early trip to the circus. I remember being fascinated by the show and getting to ride an elephant. But I don't think it was until I was older, late high school really, that I began to see the culture of weird folk as intriguing. I spent a few summers with carnies and performers as my parents operated a concession trailer, but admittedly, it probably wasn't until American Horror Story that I really connected the dots, seeing these portrayals and understanding they had a basis in reality that I really dove into freaks. I remember Emmett Blackwelder, the Turtle Man. He was my favorite, he was so kind. He even gave me a teeny tiny New Testament Bible for of course only 10 extra cents, but he was charging others 25. I watched the famous Melvin Burkhart, the human blockhead, drive real iron nails into his nose and head, which thrilled me. I shook the tiny hand of Ada the Tiny Woman and interacted with many other notorious sideshow performers who were coming to the end of their very long careers, just as the era of the freak show itself was finally puttering to its pathetic and inglorious end in the early 1970s. Of course then, being so young, I did not understand the real human exploitation that was taking place before me. Nor did I understand the fact that many of these performers just didn't have anywhere else to go or work. And this country was still years away from the ADA and other such policies that would assist the differently abled medically and economically and offer new accessibility. To me, well, they were just so different. And it seemed to me that they were confident about their difference. Going on stage in front of a spotlight for everyone to see just how different they were. Wow! Even at that early age, I already knew I was queer, or at least somehow different myself. And that just gave me hope and inspired me. Not that I am in any way equating the challenges of my then unaccepted sexual orientation and gender identity with those people who generally suffered from such physical difficulties, true life tragedies, and economic marginalization. I do not mean to trivialize that in any way. It's just that, well, 
they seemed proud of who they were. And I so wanted to feel that way. Of course, the real beginning, historically, of what became known as freak shows started with P.T. Barnum back in the early 1800s, and it was founded in exploitation, racism, and abject cruelty. African Americans were put in cages and offered up as Zulu savages, and in 1857, with one of the most despicable exhibitions being that of William Henry Johnson, a microcephalatic, who was dressed up in a furry suit and told to rattle bars and screech. He alternatively was billed as the missing link, Zippy the Pinhead, or Zip What Is It? By the time Johnson died in 1926, at the age of 83, and after spending 67 years in the sideshow business, it is said that he had been viewed by over 100 million people in his lifetime. He was known by his performer community as the Dean of Freaks. It is said he proudly accepted the title. But there have been too many books written about Barnum, and not enough about performers, of which he took great advantage. Many of Barnum's freaks found a way to turn their own exploitation on its head, become rich, and live extraordinary lives. Charles Sherwood Stratton, a young dwarf, also known as Tom Thumb, would travel the world, marry his wife, Lavinia Warren, in a star-studded ceremony in New York City, and become one of the most famous celebrities in the world, entertained by queens and kings, and on his own terms. Chang and Ang Bunker, the original Siamese twins from Thailand, then known as Siam, would eventually quit the business after a decade of success, become American citizens, and in 1845 bought 650 acres in North Carolina, owned 18 slaves, married sisters, and fathered 21 children between them. Annie Jones, Barnum's most famous bearded woman, who had facial hair when she was born, also expertly played the mandolin and became a millionaire. These individuals found a way to profit from their own cruel exploitation and carved out full and authentic lives for themselves. In those days, it sure did beat being locked in the attic of your family's house for life or being drowned at birth. The point being that these freaks took the hand life had dealt them and rose to success and fulfillment. And we don't often hear stories about that. While by today's standards, or any standards, it is certainly a horrifying way to work and live, and again, we do not condone their exploitation, but they acted on their own agency in a struggle that few of us could have endured. There were, of course, thousands upon thousands who did not attain the level of success and economic freedom that Stratton, the Bunkers, and Ms. Jones experienced. But not one of them should be blamed for joining a freak show, or calling themselves freaks, or self-identifying as such. In future episodes, we'll tell, in length, some of these other extraordinary stories. In the 80s, my partner at the time had a grandmother named Sassy. You will understand why she was nicknamed that in just a moment. She had lived and worked in Gibsonton, Florida for years. Now, if you watch The X-Files, you would know that Gibsonton was a city that all of the sideshow performers, mostly freaks, retired to during the winter off-season. Now, Sassy was a little bit infamous herself. She had worked at a small mom-pop grocery store and had foiled an armed robber by bashing him in the head with a bowling ball she kept under the counter. And she damn near killed him. Local newspapers carried the picture of Sassy proudly posing with her weapon, and she became somewhat of a town celebrity. So, when we would visit Gibsonton with her, all of her friends, most of them freaks, would come out to say hello. Many of them I had heard and read about for years. They were charming, enchanting people. Well, except for that nasty Grady Styles, but that's a story for another day. 
So I was perfectly primed in 1986 when I lived in New York City and a friend of mine named Joe, an out-of-work actor and sometimes journalist for a newspaper no one remembers, knocked on my door one morning and asked me if I wanted to go with him to Baltimore. Sure, I said, always loving a long day trip out of the city. Great, he said, then grab some snacks and meet me downstairs, I'm double parked. I did as I was told and as we were just pulling out onto Broadway, I asked why we were going to Baltimore. We're going to interview Johnny Eck. Can you believe it? He said with much glee. Who? I said. He looked at me incredulously. Johnny Eck? You went to NYU film school. Are you kidding me? He shook his head in disbelief and then reached into the back seat and grabbed a stack of papers and set it between us. Soon he pulled out an old 8x10 black and white glossy movie still from an old vintage movie. He tapped the picture repeatedly, pointing to one particular character. My eyes went wide. That's Johnny Eck? Yeah, he said. That's Johnny Eck. I knew the picture the minute I saw it. It was a still from Todd Browning's 1932 film, Freaks. I had never seen the film. No one had really seen it since the year it was released, as backlash against the depiction of real-life freaks on screen had proven just too much for provincial American audiences, and it was essentially banned and wouldn't even be released on VHS until 1990. The film's fate had been portended early. As even as the film was being shot, MGM Studios started a separate cafeteria for the freaks to segregate them from the rest of MGM's actors and staff so that, quote, people could get to eat in the commissary without throwing up, end quote. Yeah. I didn't know Johnny Eck by name, but I certainly knew who he was. John Eckhart Jr., or Johnny Eck, was born in 1911 in Baltimore, with sacral agenesis, a congenital disorder in which there is abnormal fetal development of the lower spine, which resulted in a truncated torso. He would be forever known as the half-man. Fascinatingly enough, Johnny was a twin. His brother Robert did not suffer from the same milady. Johnny was a smart, cheery baby and was walking on his hands long before Robert could even stand. Both brothers could read by the age of four, when he went to school, Johnny was a popular student, many of his classmates fighting over the chance to lift him up the stairs. Optimistic by nature, when asked how he felt about not having legs, he would always respond, why would I want those? Then I would have to press pants. And what can you do that I can't do, except tread water? It was assumed by his family that he would go into the ministry, but instead, when he was just 11, Johnny and Robert attended a church magic show and Johnny eventually made his way to the stage, where he performed his famous one-armed handstand and delighted the audience. His agility and athleticism would mark him as exceptional his whole life. He was offered a job as a performer on the spot, but Johnny insisted that Robert had to be hired too. His parents agreed to a one-year contract, which turned into 10, and Johnny Eck, the sideshow performer, was born. Johnny and Robert became famous for their sawing a man in half illusion. Because they looked so much alike facially, this was quite a realistic stunt. Robert would pretend to be an audience volunteer and then be sawed in half. By the magic of illusion, Robert's top half would be swapped with Johnny, who would jump up and onto the stage yelling, I want my legs back! I want my legs back! 
Sometimes he would even run into the audience with women fainting and men crawling towards the exits. The show was such a success that Johnny and Robert toured up and down the East Coast for years. Eck was then performing in Montreal in 1931 and was approached by MGM casting agents to play the half-boy in Todd Browning's new film, Freaks. Johnny agreed. He would earn his greatest fame from that film, even though it was a financial and critical disaster. After the film, Johnny and Robert would continue touring, and Johnny would star in three Tarzan films as the Goonie Bird. But by the late 50s, Johnny and Robert had tired of life on the road and retired to their original Baltimore family home together, the only real home they had ever known. Neither of them ever married. They became staples in their community, running a penny arcade and a children's train ride at a local park. Johnny also became a successful screen painter, and he would often be seen sitting nightly on his stoop, talking and laughing with the neighbors and their children about all of his amazing exploits and travels. The Eckharts were adored in their neighborhood. The film Freaks underwent a re-examination by film scholars and critics during the 80s and the 90s. This new lens focusing on the fact that freaks had been truthfully portrayed as real people for one of the first times in mass media. Doing everyday things, washing laundry, cooking dinner, falling in love, and getting into fights, just like all of us do. In 1995, the Los Angeles Times' Mark Smith wrote, Freaks is a wild ride, but it's not the monster trip some say it is. It is macabre and disturbing, but Browning chose to humanize the deformed characters at the movie's shadowy center, not to demonize them. Critic Andrew Saris agreed, saying that it was one of the most compassionate films ever made. We pulled up to 622 North Milton Avenue in Baltimore, Johnny and Robert's home. We were a little early, so we sat in the car, and I helped Joe with the final draft of his questions. And we locked our doors. It did not seem like a safe place to be, and this was coming from two New Yorkers. Finally, we got out of the car, walked up the stoop, and knocked on the door. Robert answered us with a wide smile, hugged both of us, and welcomed us in. Johnny was right behind him. He was much older now, of course, but that same bright twinkle of the eye was as visible now as it was in that glossy 8x10 movie still taken some 50 years before. My friend Joe, a little nervous, started to talk about the format of questioning that Johnny preferred and asked for permission to take out his recorder. Johnny waved him off and said there would be plenty of time for that later. Then they ushered us into the dining room, and there, on the table, was a feast. A big roasted chicken, as I remember, or at least some other tasty fowl, and bowls of food, their contents steaming and looking delicious, wine glasses already filled. The dining room was surrounded by deep red velvet floor-length curtains. The old gorgeous wood table, obviously having been recently polished, gleamed from the light of the bright chandelier above. Then entered cute little Major, their pet chihuahua who always seemed to have a smile on his face too. Already you could feel that this was such a happy house. Sit, Johnny said, taking off his apron, and enjoy. Joe and I stood there for a moment, flabbergasted. They had prepared for us, two strangers, such an amazing meal. Well, we did sit, and we did enjoy. Honestly, one of the most magical nights of my entire life. We laughed and choked, and Johnny and Robert told us story after story. 
Almost all of them had me laughing with tears running down my face, and many of them were about the movie Freaks and many delightful stories about Todd Browning, who adored Eck. Then we had cake and talked more. Joe didn't write down a thing and never even turned on his recorder. But he got his story. And I sat there in disbelief, listening to Johnny Eck talk about his extraordinary life. How did I get this lucky? Just hours ago, we had all been strangers, and now we felt like the best of friends. That's how Johnny and Robert made you feel. Almost like family. Chosen family. They had learned the value of that while traveling with their extremely marginalized and persecuted community for years and many miles on the road. Soon it was 2 o'clock in the morning and with a three-hour drive back we had to get going. But we could have stayed there for days. We said goodbye as if we had known each other forever. And I even got a little teary-eyed when I got back to the car. I missed them already. What incredibly kind, amazing, generous men. To this day, they are two of the most exceptional human beings I have ever met. Yet, nothing prepared me for what I would hear about them six months later. In January of 1987, thieves broke into Johnny and Robert's home and essentially tortured Johnny for over two hours before leaving with a few of their belongings and some family jewelry. They sat on Johnny and tossed him around the room, all while forcing Robert, restrained, to watch. The thieves were never apprehended. Johnny eventually somewhat recovered, physically, but the experience would change him and his brother forever. No more inviting strangers into their house. No more sitting on the stoop laughing with the neighborhood children. No more telling stories and rejoicing in their incredible lives together. They withdrew completely and only communicated with close family until their death. Near the end of his life, Johnny would say, If I want to see freaks, all I have to do is look out the window. Those thieves stole a lot more than just some jewelry. Johnny Eck died on his living room couch four long years later on January 5, 1991, at the age of 79 of a heart attack. Robert would follow him in February of 1995. They are both buried under the same headstone in Greenmount Cemetery, Baltimore, together forever. And as for me, well, I still miss my friends. Freak, fag, queer. The words may not feel related, but they are. Cousins or siblings through a shared history of oppression and ridicule. Cultures that form around the idea of a shared struggle built with chosen family when no one else would see your humanity or value. But the connection goes deeper. From LGBT people reclaiming the word queer and non-normative bodied people reclaiming the word freak. To our shared experiences of itinerant life on the outskirts of society to freak shows including a number of acts that would now be considered queer or genderqueered bodies. Freak shows were spaces that upset and disturbed the prevalent modes of thought and behavior towards the differently bodied, much like, one could argue, the art of drag queens. And through this reclamation, different people, queer people, freaks, were able to own themselves, find a place in the world, and be seen. And to the lucky, even profit off of the society that ridiculed them through a form of reciprocal exploitation. Arguably, we need more of this essence today. 
to make people feel seen, to hear them, to make space for different people. And finally, as I stand here recording this on the eve of Pride Month, the air droning from helicopter blades, punctuated with police gunfire, I'm compelled to say, Stonewall was a riot, and Black Lives Matter. <laughs>